Monday and Thursdays were great days at lunch when I was in high school because Mondays and Thursdays was Otis Spunkmeyer cookie day. Now, if you've never been at the airport or like a food court where they pull out the Otis Spunkmeyers right after they put them in that little oven, you are missing just a little slice of heaven. They're absolutely fantastic. And we had them, but they were only available two days a week on Monday and Thursday. The only problem was the lunch lady who was stationed at that station, because you had to buy them separate from your regular lunch, the lunch lady who was stationed at that station, we were pretty sure was a serial killer. Like she had the look on her face like she liked to murder students for fun. And so we would sit and we would talk about all the things we were sure that she had done in her life, but we were just like a little frightened of her. And so one day at lunch, somebody at the table said, hey, we should go talk to her. And I'm like, do you have a death wish? No, no, we, we should not. And they're like, let's go talk to her. I'm always for a challenge. I'm like, yeah, I mean, honestly, what's the, what's the worst thing in half us? You murder us and we get to leave school early? Okay. So we, you know, I and a couple, couple other friends, we went up and we, we told the, the mean lunch lady our names and her face completely lit up. Her countenance changed. And, and we had a conversation with her. And she was actually really, really nice. She just was one of those people who gave off the vibe, don't talk to me. You know who those people are. You might be one of them. Some, you know, they're just some people you look at and they give off the vibe like do not approach. And she was one of those people. But as we got to talk to her, she was incredibly nice. And then we would, we would talk to her a little bit more and more every time we'd go up to buy Otis Spunkmeyer cookies. And then she would start to smile when we would go get cookies, and she'd start to slip us free cookies. Now, there is no faster way to a high school student's heart than free extra cookies. And she was slipping us extra cookies. She was incredibly nice all along. It's just that her entire countenance, it, it proclaimed something. It proclaimed something. And it changed the instant that she smiled and everything about her seemed to change as soon as she smiled and that's what wisdom does for us in our lives and if you're like what are you talking about it's not me that says that it changes everything it's Solomon, and that's what we're going to look at today as we continue our book at Ecclesiastes. It's, it's where we've been over the course of the last few weeks, and we have looked at the life of King Solomon as he's at the end of his life, and he's taking an inventory of everything that he's achieved and everything that he's accomplished, and he's going back through, and he's talking about how all of the things that he has done, the fortune that he's acquired, all of the power and all of the rule, everything that he has that so many people back then and still in our time today think will bring us fulfillment and will bring us joy, ultimately left him and leave so many people absolutely empty. And at the end of his life, Solomon is wrestling through and he's accounting all these things that he's done and all these things that he's acquired and how he's still not satisfied and he's still not at peace. And that's what we've been looking at as we've looked at the first seven chapters of Ecclesiastes. And today we'll be in chapter eight. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once you have it installed on your device, you can either enable locations or type in zip code 54201 
and there Lakeside Community Church will pop up. You can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, again, we're in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you're joining us via the stream, thank you so much for joining us. If you're out in that tree stand, I, I just want to remind you that if you were a good hunter, you would have gotten one yesterday. Uh, but thanks for joining us anyway. Welcome to those of you who are good hunters. Thanks for joining us in person today. And for those of you who need a little help in your hunting but are still joining us via the stream, the verses are available on the screen below. Thank you for joining us as we continue our look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1 where we read these words. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of of a thing. A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. See, wisdom changes everything. And we understand that the wisdom, wisdom benefits your life. Acting wisely benefits your life. We understand that. We see that in society, we see that all the time. All of us know people who are wise, and we look at their lives, and when we make wise choices, we know this in our lives, when we make wise choices, we recognize that it benefits our lives. Acting wisely benefits your life. We all know the value of a good decision, and we also know when people aren't acting wisely. I was at a store a couple days ago with my youngest son. He's eight. And we saw a scene unfold in front of us that was just a great disaster. And somebody was doing something really stupid. And it just, it blew up in their face. And my eight-year-old looks at me and goes, well, that wasn't a good decision. And you know, if an eight-year-old can pick up on this, you probably should, probably should assess some of the choices and some of the decisions that you're making in your life. The reality is this. All of us recognize and all of us see the value of wisdom, and we all recognize when we see it in other people. And we all recognize and we all see when other people are acting unwisely. We all instantaneously recognize when someone has acted idiotically. It's just there, and it's obvious for all of us. Wisdom benefits your life. It changes everything about you. And you might say to yourself, well, I want to be wise, and I want to make wise choices, and that's good, and I think we all should agree that generally we all want to say, hey, I, I want to I make wise choices in my life. I want to do the wise thing. And if that's true, then the next question that we have to ask and answer is, well, but how do we get wisdom? Because some people want to be wise, but they don't know how to be wise. And the answer to that question is right here. This is the source right here. The scripture is God's heart revealed to us. God's the creator of everything, and so he, he understands how everything functions. He understands how everything operates, and God has created everything, and he's given us, he's given us a manual for how to go through life and how to make wise choices, to understand wisdom, and it's on display for us. This is why scripture needs to be part of something that we don't just occasionally encounter, but it needs to be a discipline in our lives. It needs to be something that is a regular part of our life that we regularly encounter because this is the start of wisdom. And it's available to us that God has given us his heart on full display and never before in human history has it been more readily available. 
in terms of copies that you can pick up and places you can buy it. In terms, I mean, digitally, it's available everywhere. Now, it, it doesn't mean that everybody's accessing it, and, and certainly in our culture and in our society, more and more people are rejecting it and, and casting it aside, but never before in human history has it been more available. And I just want to encourage you, just because it's readily available, don't let that go, don't let that go for granted. But actually use it. Encounter it. Make it a part of your life. Not just going through the motions, but search it out and seek it out. Study it. Make it a, a daily part of your life because wisdom is found here. And this is the start to making wise choices, which will make your life better. I say keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Be wise about what you do. Be wise about the choices that you make. Be wise about your conduct. Be wise. Be wise about what you do and be wise about who you spend your time with. Right here, are what we're talking about are choices and relationships. Choices and relationships will determine the outcome of your life. The choices that you make and who you surround yourself with will determine the outcome of your life. So make good choices and surround yourself with people who will bring out the best in you and who will also make good choices. This is why, especially if you're young, I just want to encourage you. The outcome of your life is going to be determined by the choices that you make and the relationships that you have. The choices that you make and the relationships that you have. This is why if, if you're dating somebody right now, you, you need to be really, be really careful and be really picky about who you date. Be really careful and be really picky about who you fall in love with, who you surround yourself with, who's in your circle. Be really picky about these things because the choices that you make and the relationships that you have will determine the outcome of your life. Choices and relationships. Make wise choices. Be incredibly smart in the relationships that you have, who you invite to be part of your life. And we recognize that we recognize this. We recognize that good choices and good relationships set us up for success. We also recognize that, that bad choices and, and bad relationships are going to make our lives more challenging. Now, the good news is this. Even if you've messed up in this, and spoiler alert, we all have. We've all made some bad choices. We've all been involved probably in some bad relationships. I mean, just think back probably to the person you were dating in middle school when you were just trying to figure out life and they were trying to figure out life and you're like, I'm going to love you forever. And you're like, God, please let me spend the rest of my life with this person. I'll do anything, but just please let me marry them. Amen. And, and then you're really in love for a couple weeks and, and then you break up and, and then you fall back and, and, you, and you go through that routine and then you look back on it now with some hindsight, you're like, Thank you for not answering that prayer. Like we, God has saved us all from some really bad choices and some, some probably bad relationships along the way. So even if you've made some bad choices, even if you've made some bad decisions on who's in your relational circle in your life, God is still able to work and move in your circumstances and in your situation. So don't give up. But just know this, that choices and relationships will determine the outcome of 
your life. And again, we want to be wise about the choices that we make. We want to be wise about the people that we let into our life, especially in a dating relationship, especially as things progress, who we're going to give our hearts to, who we fall in love with. Choices in relationships will determine the outcome of your life. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? If you do what you're supposed to do, you have nothing to fear. Again, as we've just talked about choices, we've talked about making sure that we have the right people and relationship around us. If you do what you're supposed to do, you have nothing to fear. Now, Ecclesiastes, like Proverbs, is something called wisdom literature, which means it's all inspired by God, just as Proverbs is, but Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are not promises. They're formulas. There are Proverbs that do not come true 100% of the time, and the same is true here. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not inspired. They are inspired by God, but it, it doesn't mean that 100% of the time, if you do what you're supposed to do, that you have nothing to fear. But it does mean that if you follow this formula, more often than not, you have nothing to fear fear because we live in a broken and a flawed world so it doesn't mean that universally this is going to be true 100 percent of the time again it is inspired by god but it doesn't mean that it's going to be true in every circumstance in every situation of your life and you can probably think of a time or two in your life where you have done the right thing but it didn't pan out well and it should have but it didn't because of somebody else's brokenness or the choices and decisions that somebody else made. But I just want to encourage you because you can think through the one or two times that's happened in your life. And if you follow this formula, more often than not, you have nothing to fear. So if you're like, well, it's, it's not 100% of the time, so I'm not going to follow it. Well, good luck with that percentage for you. That's not going to go well, and that's really unwise. If you do what you're supposed to do, you have nothing to fear. So as people who love and follow Jesus, we need to be wise. What is the beginning of wisdom? To know the heart of God, to engage it, to understand it, which is revealed to us through Scripture, to make wise choices, to surround ourselves in good relationships, and to do what we're supposed to do, to be people of integrity, to be the same person that we proclaim to be, to be who we, who we know we should be, even when no one's watching, to make good choices. And if we live in a life where we make good choices, we have nothing to fear. I can't think of anything more exhausting than living a, a double life, than, than trying to pretend to be something that you're not. And what a horrible existence that would be. Have, have you ever told a lie, and then somebody asks you a question about it, then you have a choice to make? Well, I can either tell the truth, or I can compound that lie with another lie, and the truth doesn't seem that appealing at the time. So you're like, I'm going to tell another lie. With, a, with another lie, and then it's another lie, and another lie, and another lie. And, and I don't know about you, I, I just can't keep that many lies straight. I, I learned that a long time ago. Like, it's just easier to be a person of integrity. And even if you can keep that many lies straight, the bad news for you is eventually the truth is going to be found out anyway. 
So we need to be people of integrity. We need to be people who make wise choices. If we do the right thing, we have nothing to fear. He goes on and he says this, that as humans, we're not going to know everything. There are going to be things we do not know. There are going to be things that we do not understand. And uncertainty creates a level of discomfort. Uncertainty creates a level of discomfort. And the reason that I want to camp out here for a moment is because I just want you to know that if, if you're facing something that's uncertain right now and you're uncomfortable with that, that's not a lack of faith. That's the fact that you're human. And what can happen is we can start to beat ourselves up when we get to circumstances or situations that, we're, that are unfamiliar and that we don't have all the answers and that we don't know. And we can start to think, well, if I had more faith, I wouldn't experience this or I, I wouldn't feel this way. And we can start to beat ourselves up, holding ourselves to a standard that God has never designed us to be held to. And that can become crippling. If you're facing something that is uncertain, you're going to have a level of discomfort. And that doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that you're not advanced in your faith. It means you're human. And you need to give yourself some grace, and you need to understand that. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? That's uncertainty. And there's discomfort where there's uncertainty, but that's part of being human. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from nor from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. For this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. Solomon just reflects and he says, we're all mortal. We're all mortal. There's nothing we can do about it. And this week, as a lakeside family, we've been reminded of that fact. I reached out to the Jensen family last night and asked if we could pray for them in our service collectively. As many of you know, this past week, their 21-year-old son, Thomas, passed away unexpectedly. I want to remind you that in the midst of your suffering and in the midst of your grief, that God is still good. And while we don't pretend to understand, we do know that His goodness not changed by these heartbreaking circumstances. I want you to remember that you are loved by God and you are loved by us at Lakeside. And we are here for you. So please join me now as we pray for them. God, I pray that you would be with the Jensen family. pray that you would sustain them. I pray that you would comfort them. 
pray, God, as they grieve, they would grieve with the hope that is available to us all because of the work of your son, Jesus. And in your love for us, God, you came as a sacrifice to offer us salvation. while we grieve we grieve with the hope that death is not the end because of the work of Jesus so God we pray now that even in the midst of this heartbreaking grief you would surround the Jensen family and you would strengthen them And you would sustain them. And you would remind them of the hope that is available. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised. And the city where they had done such things, this also is vanity. Solomon says, and then I saw the wicked. Everybody knew they were wicked. Everybody knew what they were all about. Everybody knew what they would do. It was known to everyone. And then I'd watch them as they went to the temple. And they would praise God. And then people would applaud them along the way for what they had just done. He says, this is all meaningless. This is all worthless. Why? Because it's not about optics. It's never about optics. It's all about authenticity. It's all about being genuine. God doesn't care about the optics. God cares about what's real. God cares about what's authentic. God does not want some empty pursuit where we claim we follow Jesus with our mouths and we live like hell and then we come into church and sing out at the top of our lungs about God's goodness and God's grace and how great he is and we walk out these doors completely unchanged. God wants us to be authentic. He wants us to be who we, who he wants us to be. He wants us to love and follow after him. He's not interested in a show. And here, their religion was all about a show. Everybody knew who they really were because their choices were well known. But for them, following God was all about the optics. It was all about putting on a show. And God's never desired that. God wants no part of that. He wants an authentic, real relationship. He wants people to genuinely follow after him. It's all about the heart. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So you might ask yourself, well, why do people do evil? And the answer is because they see others get away with it and seemingly prosper. Why do people do evil? Because they see other people get away with it and seemingly prosper. I mean, just this week, the last week has unstoppable has unfolded one of the largest stories of corruption and embezzlement in the financial sector that that we've ever seen. 
And in two to three years, Hulu and Netflix will both come out with documentaries about FTX. And, and they'll come out within a day of each other. And, and by that point in time, we won't even know anything about it anymore. Because there will be another scandal. And another scandal. One after another. We can name them all. Enron, the Madoff scandal. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And you might ask yourself, well, why do people continue to do this? And the reason that people continue to do this is because they look at other people and it seems to benefit them. It seems that they're living a great life. It seems that they get away with it. It seems that, that they prosper as a result of, of what they've done. And you might even ask yourself, well, if they're going to prosper, then why should I do the right thing? I mean, because, yeah, we have all those famous examples of the ones that have blown up and the people that have gotten caught. But how many people haven't gotten caught? And how many people are, are acting in impropriety, but nobody knows? And what kind of life are they living? And why shouldn't I do that if it's going to be successful for them? That can, start to, that can start to come into our way of thinking. Why should I be a person of integrity? Why should I do the right thing if everybody who isn't doing the right thing is going to be rewarded for it? And there's an answer for that as well. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. So even if it were that those who do what is wrong, those who do wicked, are never brought to justice, and they prosper, and their lives are great from, from the outside looking in. I just want to remind you, the reason that you don't join them is found right here in perspective. It's found right here in perspective. Solomon says, just zoom out. Just zoom out. It might seem like everything is great for them, but that's the immediate perspective. And there's a different perspective that we should all take into consideration. And that's the eternal perspective. And when you are reminded that God is a holy God who has a standard of holiness, and God has created everything, and that one day we will all stand before God and give an account for what we did. And if the, if the wrath and the judgment of God has not been displayed yet, make no mistake, it will be displayed. Remember that this life is not all there is. Don't just go through life having the immediate perspective, but zoom out. And look at things not just immediately, but look at things eternally. And let that factor in to the choices that you make and the decisions that you make. That it's not just about what happens right now. Zoom out from the immediate perspective and have the eternal perspective. There is a vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity, and I commend joy, for man is nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. 
For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And we revisit here in chapter 8, part of what we looked at last week in chapter 7. And it's the question that Solomon asks of why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? And Solomon didn't have an answer for us last week, but this week he doesn't have an answer for us either. Because we're not going to know that. And I would love to be able to give you an answer. I'd love to be able to give you the, the and I can give you a theological answer for why bad things happen to good people and why good things happen to bad people, but an answer that's readily acceptable and an answer that makes us all feel really good in the instant. I can't give that to you here because there are going to be things in life that I just simply don't understand. There are going to be times that God doesn't act in a certain way that I can't explain to you. And there are going to be times that God does act in a certain way that I cannot explain to you. And we are not alone in our wandering about this. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah said, God's ways are not our ways and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above our as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways and God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us that. Since we are not God, we are not going to understand why God acts in certain ways and why God does not act in certain ways. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer that Solomon gives us is this. Find joy. There are going to be things in life that you do not understand. So instead of just focusing on that, instead of spending all your time and all your energy on that, you will drive yourself crazy if you try that pursuit. Instead, find joy. Embrace life. Embrace the experiences of it. Find joy in life. Recognize, recognize it's out of your control. It's out of your control. And I, I know some of you are control freaks, and you want to control everything down to every final detail. And you just have to recognize, and you just have to remember, you can't control it all. You've got to let go. There is nothing you can do. So let go. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like to let go. But if you try to control everything, you will not have the joyful life that God wants you to have. He says, let go. Recognize it's out of your control, that you are limited, that you are finite, and you're not going to understand everything. You're not going to like everything, but let go. Don't allow that to ruin your joy. Don't let that steal your joy. Choose joy, even though you don't understand it all. Choose joy, even though it doesn't all make sense to you. Still choose joy. Enjoy life. Embrace the experiences of life. Choose that instead. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. 
Solomon just hammers this point home. He just hammers this point home. He says the knowledge and the ways of God are so much greater, are so infinite versus our limited understanding. You ever have a passenger in your car who wishes they were driving? That is a, that's a miserable experience for both the driver and the passenger. I think a lot of us are going through life trying to drive a vehicle. We're trying to chart the course. We're trying to dictate the speed, which lane we're going to choose, path we're going to take. reality is we're the passenger. We aren't the driver. Some, some clinging onto that wheel. You look like a two-year-old with one of those toy little, little steering wheels that you attach to a car seat. It's just time to let go. And it's time not only to remember that you're not in control, but to just embrace it. God's going to take you some places you never thought you'd go. And some of them are going to be incredible. And some of them you don't understand. But he's the driver. He knows more than you. So my hope in my prayer lake side is that we would be wise people. That we would have a passion to know the heart of God. That we'd make wise choices. We'd surround ourselves with good people and the relationships that we have. We would remember to do the right thing, even when no one's watching. That we would embrace life because it's precious and it's short. And we'd let go. And remember, we were never in control to begin with. And we would be eager to see where God's going to take us on this journey of life. God, I pray that we would be people who follow you, who want to be wise, God, that we would engage with you through your word, God, that we would make good choices, that would be authentic, that we'd surround ourselves with good people who are also wise love you. God, that we would do the right thing even when no one's watching. We'd be people of integrity. God, that we would recognize that each and every day is a gift. God, that you would help us. 
Help us to let go. Help us surrender. Jesus, I pray that as we live these lives, you would come work through us for your glory in big ways. And God, that as we let go, we let you take over. You would take us to places. You would accomplish things greater than anything we could have ever fathomed. And God, when you take us places that we do not understand, that we'd still follow you. Work in us, through us, and even in spite of us, Jesus, for your glory. We ask in your name.